HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, and today we are talking about tacos. Well, tacos and lots of other Mexican food. And yes, they are Mexican. Remember that. There's no question that tacos are now probably America's, uh, one of America's top fast foods with, you know, hamburgers, pizza, uh, tacos and then hot dogs. I think. I think. I think they've beat out hot dogs. To tell you the truth, I'm not sure. At least in my opinion. And we have a guest today who is the I'm going to say foremost expert on tacos, and that is Gustavo Arellano. Gustavo is a nationally syndicated columnist. I love his column. It's Ask a Mexican, and he is in. Oh, well, I'll ask him. How many How many papers, Gustavo? 20? I think now, no, like 37 newspapers. My goodness. And you are also the editor of OC Weekly, which is, a, a as it's been called, a lively alternative journal <laughs> and <laughs> fun, and, and a contributing editor to Los Angeles Times as well. Um, and... Actually, the book, the column "Ask a Mexican," where he invites people to ask him all kinds of questions. We'll have him talk about it. Was turned into a book, and he has yet another book out, and that is what we are discussing today: uh, "Taco USA: How Mexican Food Conquered America." And indeed, we have to say it did. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I can't think of too many other foods that Americans have embraced and actually kind of made it their own, much to your dismay, I know, Gustavo. <laughs> but <laughs> it, uh, it, it really is um, quite a story. And, uh, you know, I also want to mention, Gustavo, that you, um, I mean, you have, you're all over the place as far as a speaker and um, 
writer and you have received so many awards, but I think you were even on the Colbert Report. I saw that online. I thought that was fabulous. I love that. Um, but the Smithsonian had an, um, an exhibit last year called Transforming America's Table, 1950 to 2000, and you took part in a panel discussion specifically on the taco and, and Mexican food. And I thought that was that was really quite fabulous. But then this is where the the fuzziness, I think, for a lot of Americans comes in when the dates on Transforming the Table and you were involved was 1950 to 2000. So why don't we jump off there and say, why 1950? 1950, it's viewed as the pivotal year for the widespread or at least according to the uh, you know the accepted narrative the widespread uh, introduction of Mexican food into the United States with the creation of a little uh, hamburger stand in the Southern California city of San Bernardino called Bell's Burgers and Hot Dogs that hamburger stand would eventually evolve into Taco Bell and of course we all know Taco Bell, one of the largest fast food chains in the world, but definitely the largest Mexican fast food chain in the world, and uh, uh, the instigator or inspiration, if you will, for so many people in the United States and worldwide to try Mexican food, all with their humble little tacos. Huh. And that, of course, we, um, we know, well, tell us the story of how this Taco Bell came about and how, well, we, okay, we'll go there. We want to go there, or let's go back to. Let's, let's go back go wherever you want to go. Let's start. <laughs> let's. I, I'm really because I started backwards since I, you know, I was so taken with that date, 1950, and transforming America's table. I mean, tacos in the United States have been so popular, but it's only been about 50, 60 years that that they have been around. Um, obviously, they have a much longer history. So let's go back to some histories of some history of Mexican food. We can go all the way back with, you know, what is Mexican food and who influenced it. Uh, but Mexican food really did have a lot of roots in, in other um, nationalities, right? Oh, well, of course. Uh, by, its, by its definition, Mexican food is an amalgamation of different cultures that have crossed Mexico over the past centuries from the ba- from the obvious the beef and all the livestock that the Spaniards brought over to the, what's now Mexico during the conquest to the less obvious all the, all those great Mexican beers that people love your tecates and dos equis and negra modelo and what have you they they all came from German Austrian and Czech immigrants you know the, the, what I would tell people uh, why do you think it's called Bohemia it's not because Bohemia was an Aztec emperor. Huh. And one, I think one of the most important that well, you tell me what one of the most important things is um, nishtamal, nishtamalization. Without that, there's so much of that wonderful food we wouldn't have. And of course, we know maize is indigenous to that Mesoamerican region. But tell us about nishtamalization. Yeah, nishtamalization is the the miraculous process, really, where if you'd if you uh, try to live on a corn on a, just a corn based diet, you will die. Uh, if all you do is shuck the corn and eat it and prepare it as or and just eat it like that, you will die eventually. You'll die of uh, what's called pellagra, the poisoning. So some, sometime thousands of years ago, some ingenious uh, person, whether it was Olmec, Aztec, or Toltec, or some other group, 
we don't know, but they discovered that if you put corn kernels in a, in a mixture of lime, you know, oh no, a mixture of lye, not, not lime, lime, a mixture right. of lye, exactly, that the, that, that mixture will not only take out the poison from the corn kernel that's naturally in it and harmful for humans, but it will also add other nutrients like niacin and potassium back into the kernels. So once you, you know, the, the end, the end result is what we call masa. Masa, of course, is the basis for tamales, tortillas, tacos, everything, the, the whole Mexican diet. And that process is called nixtamalacion, and the, the traditional way you would do it is you would soak the corn kernels in ashes. You know, you burn something with the ashes, you, you create a, a you know, crude lye, and that's it. Uh, and, of course, humans rotting food or altering it, it's a part of his, you know, it's part of human consumption from sauerkraut to kimchi. But the nixtamalacion really set off a whole, a, a whole lifestyle of food that really is not matched anywhere else. Nowhere else in the world is a culture so dependent on rotted food as we are with, uh, nixtam- as Mexicans are with nixtamalacion, and mm. for, that, for that matter, all of Latin America. All right. Uh, supposedly, some, some sources say that, you know, it started way back uh, with the Aztecs or whomever, grinding the corn on top of a rock that had a lot of this ash on it, and it just mm-hmm. happened by accident, right? We will never know. We'll never know. There's so much about that history that we'll never know. Um, but it truly is, I have to say, that it, it is a, a food, an evolution, you know, of um, the food is, is so nuanced, but, and then come tacos. And there's so much we could talk about. I really do want to focus on the taco because it's known by everybody. And sure. and um, did a show on pizza as a fast food and and its American roots, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. so you can listen to that it's show number one fifty five for those of you listening. But yeah, pizza and and tacos, I think, are two very very interesting foods because everyone assumes that they are in the form that we eat them Mexican, as pizza is Italian, but really in the form that we eat them, it's a it's it's a, an American thing. Am I right? Yeah, well, no, tacos, of course, have existed as long as there's been Mexicans around. In other words, the, the process of getting a tortilla and filling it with food and then pinching it with your fingers and popping it into your mouth, that's ancient. But the name associated with that meal, in other words, calling that meal a taco is relatively recent, only about 120 years ago, the earliest uh the, the earliest documentation of, a, of that meal being called taco in Mexico itself only goes back to about the 1880s, 1890s in Mexico City. The oldest American, the oldest English language description of a taco comes from the Los Angeles Times articles from the 1890s, where a uh, Los Angeles socialite was traveling in Mexico City. The earliest documented taco that we know that entered the United States only goes back to 1915. So this is a very... You know, tacos as tacos is just a very, uh, it's a relatively recent phenomenon. Of course, the great thing with tacos is that once, once they were able to come into, uh, in, enter the imagination of both Mexicans and Americans, it's been off to the races ever since. And there's just been so much, sh- uh, shaping and, uh, modifications of the tacos that it's the meal that never gets tired. <laughs> That's true. Well, you know, I did I did a little survey of my own before the show and, and went into the office and act, asked all the people in our office, what's your favorite taco? And by and large, it was fish tacos. 
And mm. I have to say that, you know, fish tacos, uh, uh, I'm going back maybe only 15 years, especially out east here, you never heard about fish tacos. Um, certainly Southern California you did. Well, now two of these people were had lived in Southern California. Um, and then I asked uh, the difference between, which is where I want to go with you next, is what do you like better, crispy or soft tacos? And you, by and large, yeah, everyone you. by and large everyone said soft, but I want to talk to you about that and and about yeah, those cool. those first tacos. And for me, a taco is, I guess, what Americans would call a soft taco. That's just to me. That's just a taco. The hard shell taco, you would call it a taco dorado because. That's what it is. It's a it's a fried taco. It's a taco shell. I would I, we wouldn't you never call it a taco duro. That makes no that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so I grew up with uh, you know with regular tacos, but I like them all as long as they're good. That's what matters. Whether they're hard shell tacos, soft tacos, fish tacos have only been part of the Southern California diet in earnest since probably the early 1990s, and they, they of course came from Baja California and skipped over to San Diego. Uh, by a man named Ralph Rubio. He's credited, well, he is the creator of Rubio's, which is one of the largest Mexican, uh, what's called, uh, fast casual chains. Think in the, in the, in the, uh, um, or no, 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 fresh Mex chains. So think your Baja Fresh and whatnot. He started his first, uh, his first Rubio's in San Diego in, or was it San, in San, in the San Diego region. And only in 1983. So, uh, so I didn't grow up with fish tacos. That's just not something we ate. It wasn't until I became a young, you know, in, got into my 20s that I realized fish tacos were a thing. And of course, they've slowly been spreading around the United States ever since. And people love them, uh, and, and they're great. Don't get they're, don't get me wrong. They're great, but every taco, there's a time for every taco and a season for every torta too. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we, well, tell me, is it? In now, you are from Southern California. Lived there your whole life, um, and but you do go back to visit your family's home often in Mexico. It, are tacos offered as a street food snack at all mm-hmm. in Mexico? Oh yeah, yeah. If you want to buy food from the street, that's usually one of the many options because it's easy to prepare. You just have you just keep heated, uh, you know. Uh, skewer, not skewers, but grills of, you know, you, you, you keep eating a, a big, a huge grill. On it, you have different types of meat. It's a very easy thing to do. It, it takes little to no preparation. Uh, all you have to do is make sure that the meat keeps getting heated, that its seasoning doesn't, uh, you don't lose its seasoning, and then you heat up the tortillas, you put on your, uh, your, your you know, your onions and uh, your salsas and cheese and whatever, uh, however you want to come out of uh, to modify it, and then uh, from there you just make it for the people and give it to them. Mm. It's very easy, and more importantly, they're delicious. Well, in fact, um, in your book, you you do have you talk a lot about the taco trucks being the first food trucks, really that that have introduced us now to such a such a huge variety of food trucks around the country that we even have awards for the best food trucks. But taco trucks were, uh-huh. the, were the start, huh? Yeah, well, the, the, right up until the early nineteen seventies. The way most Americans ate tacos in the United States were those hard shell tacos. Uh, you know, they the were all ripoffs of Taco Bell. But in the early 1970s, uh, what's credited as the first Lonchera, uh, you know, the first taco truck opened up in Los Angeles. It's now it was the ancestor to a very famous chain out here called King Taco. And not only was that pioneering, but the cuts of meat that the man uh, that operated it offered was also pioneering so no longer just your ground beef or maybe your shredded beef that you 
that, or maybe chicken, or ground chicken, that was like the way to eat meat in your tacos across the United States through the 60s. Now you started getting meats like carne asada, like carnitas, al pastor, meats that we nowadays take for granted. They were unheard of in the United States as, you know, as recently as I would argue the 1980s. It wasn't until those, uh, you know, loncheras started spreading around that then people uh, started realizing the you know the beauty of the tr- of the Mexican ta- uh, the Mexican taco and its fullest potential. Uh, yeah, you know, what, what, what America had was a preview. Don't get me wrong; I'm never going to knock hard shell tacos like other people were, but it was an incomplete taco. America was still waiting for the for the, the for the whole enchilada. <laughs> and, and and there you have it in a shell, right? But and, <laughs> uh, it is that. I mean, it really. Um, the varieties and now they're they've gone so gourmet it's amazing what what one can order and we won't even go into some of those odd types but um what we're going to take a, a brief break and when we come back i want to talk about some of the other foods that really hit the u.s shores shores because they didn't come across hit the hit the north before tacos came around so stay with us right after this break Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit www.surreyfarms.com. We're back on A Taste of the Past, and I'm talking with Gustavo Arellano, who is really, I'd say, obsessed with uh, learning everything about the evolution of, of Mexican food. Um, his writing is is terrific, and you can learn so much about our history as well as the history of American food. Uh, Gustavo, one thing that you did, um, you mentioned in your book, and, the, and you said you know before the taco even became known, there were two very popular foods in America um, from Mexico, the tamales and chili. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that chili, good old chili in a can, chili from chili cook-offs and whatnot, originally was known in the United States 
as a style of Mexican food from Texas. Uh, and the spread of chili, I, 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 doc, excuse me, I documented it in my book, Taco USA. Uh, it, it started in the 1890s hand-in-hand hand with another type of meal that most Americans could not possibly imagine was popular in the United States back in the 1890s and early 1900s, which are tamales. Tamales, of course, being probably one of the oldest uh, essentially unchanged foods in mankind. Just You get some masa, you put something inside of it, you wrap it in a, either banana leaf or a corn husk, and that's that. But tamales were all the rage in the United States from, you know, across the United States in the 1890s onward. And then they petered out in popularity, like, uh, unless it was in the American South, or, of course, unless you were eating tamales from a can, which I still want to eat tamales in a can, because I still can't believe that people would subject themselves to that. But the <laughs> fact that they, but the fact that they did, though, just shows how much Americans wanted to eat Mexican food, that they would subject themselves to that. Huh, interesting. And there were tamale wagons, the precursors to the taco trucks. Right? Exactly, yeah, the tamale wagons, the tamale men, uh, you know, men who would just go around a small town America, especially in the South, and sell uh, tamales from a basket or from a from a steam bucket. These were staples of American culinary life that, for the most part, were forgotten. Uh, in you know, the ensuing decades after its heyday, and especially after the waves of Mexican, the 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 waves of Mexican food that have come upon our shores ever since the 1950s. Well, you say that tamale is the one food that's, that's by and large unchanged from its original form, and that's something that um, I know you you are really, um, I guess it kind of gravels you, is this whole talk about authenticity. Tell me a little bit about your take on authenticity of, of when it comes to tacos and, Amer- and Mexican food. Well, of course, there's a lot of people who will say that there's real Mexican food, whatever that may be, authentic Mexican food, and then there's fake Mexican food, uh, whatever that may be. And for a lot of people, it usually falls upon racial lines. Uh, if you're white, there's no way to possibly know what authentic Mexican food is. And if you're Mexican, anything that Mexicans make must be real and authentic. That's what I, that, that was a theory that I started my book off. I really wanted to go show America what I thought was authentic Mexican food. But as I traveled around the country, I realized that it's just silly. There really no, is no such thing as authentic Mexican food. And that's what makes Mexican food such, that's what has sustained its popularity, that it's always reinventing itself, that it's always creating, uh, fusing with other uh, cuisines to making new, and yes, authentic food. However, the idea of authenticity, on the other hand, has been what has has been the main selling point for Mexican food in the United States. So at one point, Taco Bell was considered to be authentic Mexican food. At one point, uh, you know, tamales and chili con carne uh, or chili was considered to be authentic Mexican food. And what happens is Americans assimilate their, uh, you know, they, they assimilate the Mexican food that they were obsessed over for about a decade, and then they ask, okay, I want something more authentic. So we assimilate all this authenticity. In that sense, I appreciate that cult of authenticity because it just means that it's, it makes Americans more willing to accept new styles of Mexican food that they otherwise might not want to try if they didn't think it was authentic. All right. Well, it, which brings us back to um, Glenn Bell and his company Taco Bell. Um, I mean, he, it was somewhat authentic. I mean, be, well, as you just you know, described what, what is authentic, um, because he borrowed it, if you will, from a Mexican cafe across the street, correct? Exactly. Well, what happened was Bell, 
Bell was, you know, Bell's family, his grandparents are rich, but he himself grew up in poverty. And so he goes out to World War II, and he has it in him to become a millionaire. He wants to make money, and he wants to make money via food. In the Pacific Theater, he was a... he was a short or a cook on the on the naval. I, I don't. I think he was Marines. I always forget. I, it's in my book, of course, but I always forget that part. But uh, so he comes back to San Bernardino, which is a working class suburb about an hour away, from, an hour east of Los Angeles, and he thinks to himself, "I got to make my millions, but how? It's not going to be with hamburgers because at that time, in the late 1940s, the McDonald's brothers had already started their McDonald's, which of course we know the story there. So he figures, "I'm going to make it with Mexican food, but." How do how am I going to do this? So what he decided to do, he opened up a hamburger and hot dog stand in the Mexican side of San Bernardino, the Mexican the barrio there, and he opened it right across the street from a Mexican restaurant. What he would do is every night he'd close up shop, he'd go across the street to this Mexican restaurant, he'd order some tacos, try to figure out how they made them, then go back to his Bell's Burgers, literally right across the street, and try to construct or reconstruct them. Eventually, the owners of the of the restaurant. Got tired of this and said, "Look, if you're going to steal our tacos, at least steal them right. So uh, here, let's let's take you to the kitchen and we'll teach you how to make tacos." That Mexican restaurant, by the way, is still there. It's called Meat La Cafe. It's off the old Route 66, one of the oldest Mexican restaurants uh, remaining in Southern California. And their taco recipe has not changed. And now it's what 77 years old. It has not changed in those 77 years. So if you're a true fan of tacos, you're going to go out to San Bernardino. Excuse me, you're going to go out to San Bernardino, go to Meat La Cafe, and make a pilgrimage to what I call the, what, what, what would you call it, the Bethlehem of tacos. <laughs> well, and you also talk a lot about um, the another taco place that has a, uh, what to me, I've got I've got to go there and have the fried, hard, really hard shelled at Salito Lindo's. Yeah, oh yeah, Cielito Lindo is uh, the, most, the northernmost tenant in Olvera Street. And I think most Americans know what Olvera Street now It's this uh, like uh, small, so former street in Los Angeles that's been closed up to recreate a Mexican plaza or, or an American's perception of a, Mexican, of a Mexican plaza in the 1930s. So when they created Cielito Lindo, they, of course, knew that Mexican food was going to be a, a big attraction. And that's it. And everyone, though, was trying to offer the same dishes. So a woman, uh, uh, what was her name? I forget her name, but it's all in the book, of course. <laughs> she said, well, you know, she told the owners, well, I want to I wanna open a Mexican restaurant. So the, uh, the woman who was sort of the doyen of Alvera Street, Christine uh, Sterling, she said, well, you're going to have to offer something different than what other people are offering. So she decided to offer taquitos, taquitos from her native state of Zacatecas. So we all know what taquitos are, of course. You roll up a corn tortilla, you put some meat into it, whether it's ground beef or, in this case, shredded beef, and she started selling them. They immediately became a hit, so much so that the other restaurants in Olvera Street started copying her, and that, and then that trend spread across Southern California. Same thing with uh, Meat La Cafe. Cielito Lindo has never changed the recipe for their taquitos, and now it's Geez, I think it's 80-some 80, 80 years old at this point. It was wow. opened in 1931, so people can do the math from there. Yeah. It's amazing, and they're delicious. Oh, yeah. my God. All the huh. time, you just see, you see a line there of people. All of Los Angeles is there. Coughs, tourists, uh, you know, working-class folks, men in business suits, hipsters, everything, all want to get and, uh, these tacos. And now, of course, because of inflation, it's expensive, so you get two tacos for three bucks. <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> well, you know, I, I was and I was looking yeah. at the picture of those taquitos and just drooling because I just every it was everything you want there the the oil, the fried, you know, the the fat, the the crispiness and and the meat. Uh, and it's interesting because Taco Bell Taco Bell is such a a known quantity and in fact known and now somewhat disparaged um there there are what almost 6000 Taco Bell locations around the United States and they serve millions of customers and yet the real foodies are looking for the gourmet taco you know the or you know, or as we would say an authentic taco um and we've gone from crispy shell to soft shell to back to crispy shell and it's just any way you want it i think is 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 how it goes but it is the perfect food i think it just really it's how easy is it and as i liken it so much to um you know to pizza because it's something that america embraced and it's kind of made it their own and in fact some of it went back to the country of origin so did any of our american style tacos go back to mexico not really. Uh, they, there was an attempt to open up a Taco Bell a couple of years ago in Mexico that failed. But that said, this idea that, uh, what would you call it, a Mexican food acculturation only goes one way. It's not true. Americans obsess over Mexican Coke. Well, uh, last I heard, Coke wasn't indigenous to the Aztecs. Coke obviously went from the United <laughs> States into Mexico and became, you know, and became very popular there. And then Americans up here uh, rediscovered the Mexican Coke down there because it's made, of course, with sugarcane as opposed to corn syrup. Right. Uh, same thing, uh, Mexicans in, nor- in northern Mexico, in the state of Sonora, they uh, assimilated hot dogs back in the 1950s. They started making, making it their own creations, and now it's spreading across the United States, bacon-wrapped hot dogs with all, with all sorts of toppings. Uh, especially people who believe such thing as authenticity, they say, oh, Mexicans don't eat, you know, they have a very conce- uh, preconceived notion of what Mexicans eat. They don't realize that the top-selling bread in Mexico is not your French rolls, your bolillos, but bimbo, pan bimbo, which is basically the, the hostess, or rather the white bread of, you know, literally the white bread of Mexico. Mm-hmm. This, is, this was an American invention that went to Mexico and became popular, not the other way around. Interesting. That's interesting. And it should be of no surprise to people. There are, um, I let the audience uh, know when I was doing the pizza show, I keep going back to this pizza show because I just, it's this fast food, this, this mega popular fast food in America. There is one of those odd creations called that our engineer Evan told me the name of it. I didn't know the name of it. I just knew that it existed. A McDonald's pizza with French fries in the middle of pizza and folded over. <laughs> well, now we hear there are spaghetti tacos. So go figure, right? <laughs> exactly. People will do anything. But it is a wonderful food and it's a wonderful creation and there but yet there is so much more than tacos to Mexican food. And that should be our next discussion. And I invite you back to let's talk about let's talk about food beyond tacos. And we'll do that on the next show. Gustavo, thank you so much. It has been a real treat talking to you and I hope we've all learned a lot. And no, again, gracias for having me. <laughs> this has been a taste of the past and I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. 
You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>